the MVP was really manual. It was a really pretty face on humans behind the scenes running <laughs> running some some math. We had really basic data point connections from the contract to to the vendor's activities. I had to prove product market fit, right? I had to prove that we would serve the client and that the client was willing to spend more money to get what they were supposed to be getting for a flat fee. I am Ashley Wilson, founder and CEO of AuditMe. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Ashley Wilson envisioned a platform powered by smart humans that speaks elevator but works for you. All this and more on Code Story. Ashley Wilson is a self-proclaimed elevator baby, being raised in the elevator industry. She grew up with an interesting mix of entrepreneurial spirit alongside blue-collar influence. Outside of her current venture, she likes to read books and is very into fashion. For books, she likes self-help, spiritual-type books like Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle. At a prior company, Ashley did a research project that surfaced to her how much the industry was focused solely on profits and not the people they were serving. She left her company and had a moment where she envisioned how she would change the industry and shift the power back to the customer. This is the creation story of AuditMate. AuditMate is the first ever elevator and escalator auditing and management software to which people go, huh? Being in the industry, I found that Customers are really an afterthought, and elevator contracts are intentionally vague and confusing. What this resulted in is building owners and managers receive an average of about 50% of the elevator services that they are paying for. So what AuditMate is, is it's a software that takes essentially a legal document, turns it into data points. They would extrapolate all of the vendor, elevator vendors' activities, so maintenance, testing, certificates of insurance, et cetera, et cetera. We manage all of those items, but we also audit them so that the customer can get everything that they're paying for and they don't pay more than they should. Well, I thought that I would surely be the first female president of one of the major elevator corporations. and just really found that skyrocketing profits were a direct result of companies not doing their job. The last big bang that I had in the industry is I was asked to do a global research project on portfolio protection. I was presenting to all the CEOs in North and South America on portfolio protection and how the customers were really an afterthought. We, we, we didn't have any empathy for the client. We didn't understand their budget cycles. We didn't understand what was important to them. It was all about profitability for us. And, and, and the humans were really lost in it. The humans at the elevator companies and, and the customers. At that point, I just simply had to walk away. I couldn't continue to teach my employees how to like professionally gaslight customers into not 
asking. And, you know, because the industry is so niche, no one really knows what's going on. Clients rely on elevator companies to explain the work, to price the work fairly, and then to do the work with no checks and balances. About 10 months later, my boss's job came open. And I started kicking myself because, you know, I really set out to change the industry and I thought that I would. And then it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks all at the same time that the way to change the industry was, was not with just me, that I needed to show clients that they held the power. I had this very Queen's Gambit moment, if you've seen that movie where she's moving the chess pieces on the ceiling and and the data just kind of came together and made sense and where I would pull it from and how I would compare it to the contract. And it, I wouldn't believe it if it weren't true. <laughs> Let's dive into the MVP then, so that first product you built. How long did it take you to build and, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So we built on Salesforce, actually. The MVP was really manual. It was a really pretty face on humans behind the scenes running running some, some math. We had really basic data point connections from the contract to, to the vendor's activities. I would say the MVP probably was about 15% of, of the algorithm that we're running now, honestly. So even in, you know, the, the early versions of a product, or especially in the early versions of the product, you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? And I hear some, right? What's going to be automated? What's going to be manual? Um, how are we going to get this out there to really get feedback? So tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with those decisions. I had to prove product market fit, right? I had to prove that we would serve the client and that the client was willing to spend more money to get what they were supposed to be getting for a flat fee. And and clients really had to wrap their head around, why am I spending money on something I should already be getting? That doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, I wanted like 15 features, right? I wanted all of these audits and really building the automation. What we gave up was a lot of email automation, a lot of notifications, because they're hard and it's hard to time them right. It's hard to know what the right amount of communication is, what sort of automation, you know, people don't really want to be dinged and buzzed and especially something that, you know, it's just one aspect of a property manager's job is their elevators. And so we pulled back on a lot of the email automation and notifications of the software and really chose what we believed would be the most impactful audits. And then we put a face on the dashboard and then did some of the auditing annually. Okay, so you've got your MVP. Right. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I think, and I'm getting a little bit of this in your last answer, but how did you build your roadmap and how did you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address and automate? There were really two, two big decision makers on what was next. One was what was sucking the most time of the company. And the second was what is most impactful to the client and the negotiations. 
So with the client, what we want is we want them to get the maintenance that they're paying for and we want to get them savings. You know, that really was was front of mind. And then from there, the secondary deciding factor was what's taking up the most time from AuditMate. Because if if simple math, you know, if I can do the audit in two seconds versus, you know, it takes me an hour to pull a report and to compare data and, and run data sets and yada, yada, yada. So then let's switch to the people that are maybe doing the audits or, you know, building the software, et cetera. How did you build your team and how, you know, what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? I have a mix of elevator folks and tech folks. So in the beginning, the elevator people really knew nothing, nothing about the software and the software people knew nothing about the elevators. And so we had a lot of actually really cool cross training these two groups of people really spoke completely different languages with all of the acronyms and the colloquialisms. With the elevator folks, there is a certain type of elevator person that wants to see the industry preserve the integrity of maintenance and doing right by the customer. There's a lot of technology that's coming out about elevators that's really about reducing maintenance and getting more reactive, which is fine if the legal contracts and the and the, the revenue follows that, but it's not, right? And so to us, that feels really unethical. So there's this certain kind of essence that these elevator people have that's really about humans, it's about human serving elevators, right? And at the end of the day, we're, we're transporting people, lives. And then on, on the technology side, the people that are just really open to learn, really, really eager to, to dive into this other, this other industry and this other world. Everyone that works for us is really behind our North Star of being excellent to each other. Like, yes, we work with elevators, but really at the end of the day, we're all here to ensure that, that everyone has a fair and equitable relationship with, with people they do business with. So let's flip to scalability then. So was this built to scale efficiently from day one? And given some of the manual processes, I, I, I could make a guess there, but I want you to answer. Um, or, or are you fighting this as you grow? No, absolutely not. I think to be scalable, you have to do a lot of unscalable stuff. <laughs> so in the beginning was really proving product market fit. Proving that, you know, this is a massive untouched industry, massive $120 billion a year industry that's that's never been disrupted. It's been operating the same way for over a hundred years. And so we we had to get in there and prove that that we found crack. And that was really the, the most important thing. So setting up to be scalable, yes. Scaling from the beginning, no, right? not communicating is one of the most time time constricting things that we did all of that manual but we needed our customers to be cheerleaders and so communicating personally in the beginning um, was imperative to that word of mouth well as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with audit mate what are you most proud of i'm most proud of my team Honestly, you know, there's been times that we've just been stretched to the max with work. 
and really buckling in and always being willing to help each other out. You know, my my team, we we talk a lot about permission to be human and being inclusive. And and I say all the time, your mental health is your is your responsibility. Well, those tables get turned on me with my team, which is one of the things I'm most proud of. That they'll say, "Hey, you don't look like you've been sleeping. <laughs> You're working too much. We're getting emails from you too late." And that feedback from the team is imperative to holding the culture that that I speak about, that I care about, right? Because when they come to me and say, "Hey," You tell us that you care about work-life balance, but you're quietly setting a precedence that we're supposed to be working in 12 hours a day, and that's not fair. And I'm like, heard. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Automating too early. <laughs> you know, we we spoke about emailing, and 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 building. Dashboards and graphs that I thought people would really, really care about, and they didn't. And it was a really important learning. It was a really important mistake. We invested too much going down a path that we didn't quite know about. Now, I think we had to do it because we had to build it for people to be like,、mm, "Not quite right, <laughs> right." So I'm happy that we did. I'm happy that we learned so quickly to pull back the the email, to pull back the notifications, and to and to get closer to the client so quickly. So, Ashley, what does the future look like for the product AuditMate and for your team? The future is one of two ways, honestly. I, at some point, we're going to need to make the decision on: Do we go into other verticals? So, are all are you managing and auditing all of your buildings vendors on one platform? So, we're managing your HVAC, we're managing your landscaping, we're managing your window washing, and auditing all of those contracts all in the same system. Or do we go global? the The elevator industry is massive. The problem the problem is a little different in different countries, but The problem is still is still there. So let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name someone or lots of someone's or something that you look up to and why. I would say you know I spoke to to Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle in the beginning of this podcast. I think really living out loud about being. Different, and th- those differences really, you know, kind of held me back in the beginning. Mentally, in my own head, they held me back. And I think embracing my differences and really being willing to be a messy human with my team, and be authentic, and be brave, and be vulnerable, has allowed me to have a relationship with my team that is so transparent. That they are able to come to me and say things that I wouldn't have dared say to my boss ten years ago, but that's exactly the sort of team that I want. We we don't just need safe spaces; we need brave spaces. We need spaces that people are willing to speak up when something doesn't feel right, even if they're not, if even if their their brain hasn't caught up yet. They don't know why, but they know that it, it it's just not right. 
we talked about a mistake, right? But a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I started in this world a non-technical founder. <laughs> and I now am leading the majority of our, of our innovation. And I think trusting my own judgment and being willing to shake off that imposter syndrome quicker and really dive in and learn more about the software instead of hiring consultants right away. I would have had to hire consultants either way in the beginning, but I trust in other people's judgment more than I should have, even when my stomach was like, mm, I don't think that's right. But I was like, well, they know more than me. Uh, and now I'm like, now I, I lean into those judgments and those gut reactions so much more. I don't, uh, I will never be our primary person writing code. I, I trust my gut and know enough now to, to make those calls and, and decide how things will be built in the architecture, who the architect should be and et cetera, et cetera. Well, Ashley, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Exactly what I just said. Trust your gut. No one will run your business like you do. No one is smarter than, than, than you are when it comes to your business. So we need accountants and we need architects and, and we need all of these different mentors and absorb that information and decide what's yours and throw the rest, throw the rest away. That's great advice. Well, Ashley, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of AuditMate. Thank you for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.